Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. That was good. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to pray again, as is my habit. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for what you've taught me as I've studied this material. And uh, I just pray that you would bless the words that come out of my mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we've had quite a year. Am, Am I too loud or is that good? Isn't that cool? Awesome. We've been talking about our core values. So we spent some time earlier this year talking about the Father heart of God and about how God is a good Father and about how He loves you. God does not hate people. God even loves the worst sinner. And we talked about how He has a heart of compassion and really always has. We talked about intimacy, about how God wants to be intimate with you and He wants to be intimate with each other. At me. Which means my mic might be cutting in and out. Is that happening? It is. Uh-oh. That's okay. Are we good? Awesome. So, (laughs) now we're... Awesome. The demon of the microphone. Although I would like to note that now that I'm holding this, I am no longer contemporary or relevant. My earpiece mic is gone. That's a big shame. Oh, God. It's been a while. But now my jitters are gone now that that's happened. All right. Overview. God's a father. He wants to be intimate with you. And now we're talking about restoration. We're talking specifically about freedom. And what does God want to free you from? And just some of the topics that we've had are shame. God wants to free you from shame. He wants to free you from fear. He wants to free you from guilt. He wants to free you from ungodly, destructive beliefs, from judgments and expectations that you've made against other people, even from generational curses. That, has anyone heard of that before? We, we had that message? Yeah, a handful. That sounds weird, but it's true. God wants to free you from that. Coming up next week, Pastor Cameron is going to talk about soul ties, relationship knots that can be unhealthy that God also wants to free you from. So this is not a comprehensive list, but these are just some of the things that we're supposed to live free from that Jesus has paid the price for. But how do we do that? What's, what's the how? How do we sink our teeth into that? And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. So we're going to base our talk in John 8, 31 to 32. If we can bring that up, I'll just go ahead and read it. Conveniently, in John 8, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people and they're debating, Who in the world are you, Jesus? Can you just come out and tell us? And they're going back and forth. And at one point, they just come out and ask him, Who are you? You know, like, lay it out. And Jesus in his... In his Jesus way, tells them just enough that they can come to the conclusion, but he doesn't solve the, solve the riddle for them all the way. So after that debate is settled, in John 8.31, he says to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus says to the Jews who have believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you, will, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I almost based this talk on... Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I was right there, you know, because it's a great verse, you know. The Spirit is the Lord, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
but I didn't. I really felt like I should base it here. And this turned out to be great because I love text mining. There it is. Awesome. And uh, I got some really cool stuff as I looked into this. To the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, first let's look at the word, word. The word, word is logos. Now, this word can literally mean word, but it actually has kind of a broader definition. The Blue Letter Bible, actually, the phenomenal app, I plug it every time, and if you don't have it, I would highly suggest it. It talks about how specifically in John, the word logos refers to Christ. I mean, John goes, in John 1.1, he starts out with what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Logos. So, there's three senses in which we're supposed to abide in the Word. The first sense we can't really do, because it was what they were hearing in the first century. The word Logos literally means teaching or instruction. So, in the first century, they're sitting down or standing up, And they're listening to Jesus talk as a rabbi. And he's saying, abide in my teaching. They would have understood that that meant that what I'm telling you to do, my teaching as a rabbi, I expect you to do. Continue in it is another way that it's translated. Hold to it. Hold to my teaching. Logos can also be translated teaching. But we can't really do that because we're not in the first century and we're not hearing Jesus personally. But there's another way that we can abide in his word and his logos. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul conveniently tells Timothy that the whole Bible is God-breathed. It's all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and instructing and growing in godliness. So, we're not... I heard a guy once say, just read the words in red and you'll be fine. Well... Admittedly, the words in red are pretty important, but it really requires a full understanding of the text. So we need to abide in the full text, all of it. Some of it's a little harder to understand, some of it is downright strange. But you study it, you abide in it, and it's good. So that's how we can do that. But the third sense is the word logos can mean Jesus himself, right? John specifically means Jesus when he says the word. We're supposed to actually abide in Jesus, And in case you think that's a stretch from this verse, in John 14, the the chapter of John 14, he says, abide in me no less than five times. So he really kind of clears it up. (laughs) Like, here's what I want you to do. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. And then he says, I'll also abide in you, but you abide in me. And there are plenty of other verses, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, you are the branches. I'm the vine. Abide in me. So we need to abide in the word the whole written word, and the living word of Jesus himself. But what in the world does abide mean? Or continue in, as some translations have it. Or hold to, as other translations have it. Abide is the Greek word meno. And do I have everyone's permission to absolutely slaughter the Greek? Awesome. This is my favorite part. I love it. So, meno. It was often used for where are you living? When the disciples were following Jesus and they said, Lord, where are you staying? They said, hey, where are you manoing? Where are you manoing right now? When it says that Mary went and stayed with her cousin for about three months, Mary went and manoed with her cousin for about three months. When Jesus sends out the disciples two by two and he says, when you enter a town, find a house that's worthy and stay there. Find a house that's worthy and mano there. It literally means, where are you staying? Where's your residence? You know, where do you go back to? Where do you not leave? And in regard to a teaching... 
like the teaching of a rabbi. It literally means to hold fast to. All right? Jesus was unique among rabbis and that he taught everybody. Normally, if you got to be the disciple of a rabbi, you were like in the upper echelons of society. Now our parents are proud if we become doctors, right? You know, when I was a kid growing up, you couldn't get much higher than that. I knew my parents would love me if I dug dishes, ditches for a living. But man, I also knew that like somehow if I could be a doctor, there was like no higher rung than that, you know? In Jesus' day, it was being taught by a rabbi. It was being a disciple. Interesting. So we're supposed to hold to his teaching like a disciple of the rabbi. We're supposed to mano in it. Now this message is about living free. How do we live free? I haven't forgotten that with all those words I just said. Moment of silence. Awesome. Has anyone ever struggled with anxiety? You don't have to raise your hand. In fact, don't raise your hands. Or bitterness. Or greed. Or any type of addiction. Self-loathing. Depression maybe. Perhaps lust. Consumerism. Any ungodly mindset. It could rightly be said that on a spiritual and emotional level, you may know there. You might leave from time to time. You might forget that your self-loathing is there from time to time when you're out doing something else. But at the end of the day, you always go back, just like it's your emotional, spiritual address. Right? You know? So it's kind of the screensaver of your life. When you're not actively doing something else, depression. When you're not venturing out somewhere else, Anxiety, self-loathing, lust, always popping back up. Because you're living there. And Jesus came to make us free. If you want to not mano in one place, and you would like to mano in another place, you need a change of address. You need to move. Has anyone tried physically moving by themselves? That's crazy. Right? And a lot of these teachings, we talk about how a key to getting free is to get with someone and pray through stuff. You know? That's not shameful. No one ever goes from one house to another and tries to move all their stuff all by themselves. When we physically stay in a different place, it takes effort and it frequently takes time. And often, it's not done in one trip. Right? Once we moved, we had a little over a week to move from one place to another place across town. And I thought, this is going to be awesome. I don't have to do this all in one shot. I've got a week, right? So we signed the lease at the new place, and that's technically our residence. Now I've got a full week to clear out my old place. I had zero peace at the new place, even though I technically lived there, because half of my stuff was still at the old place, right? It takes help. And even when we have manoed, technically, we've moved spiritually. Sometimes there's just some stuff we need to clean up. Right? The renewing of the mind is a process. So don't be ashamed of the process and the process of living free. Does that make sense? I'm not boring anyone. This is good. Cool. I was really excited about this. I thought it was great. Okay. We are making the Word of God our emotional, spiritual residence. We're holding fast to his teachings, right? What's the word? The word is all of scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, and it's also Jesus himself, okay? So we're in that. And if we do that, John 8.31 says, then we are truly his disciples. This is interesting. Just in passing, Jesus is making a distinction here. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, 
We're told to go and make disciples, not believers. In James 2, James says, even the demons believe. Belief is a great starting point. But Jesus gathers a group that believes in him and quickly draws this delineation. Here's what it takes. You need to abide in my instruction. Guys, that means do it. Right? When the rabbi says to do something, the disciple of the rabbi does it. And the disciple of the rabbi doesn't raise his hand and object. Or else you're not a disciple of the rabbi. You are free to go be discipled by whoever you wish. But Jesus is saying, here's the line, guys. Don't just believe. Do. Now, (laughs) you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The word know is a funny word. It's the same word that is a euphemism for husband and wife time in ancient Israel, if you know what I mean. And uh, in, in the Vines Expository and in the Blue Letter Bible, which, you know, it's really easy to look up definitions, it says that it can mean to come to know or to perceive, you know. And it's not merely intellectual. So then, when you're doing all of this, you're abiding in the Word. You're truly the disciple. You're going to come to know the truth. I'm actually having to look at my notes. This is amazing. Awesome. So, the Vine says something very interesting. Vine's expository. Which, actually, you know, I got this here. This was in the free book table. And I looked in it, and it used to belong to Scott Jones. So, I actually believe that that makes it even more special. So... It's unique among Vine's expositories. It says that in this verse and in similar verses, he's not talking about things that you can figure out intellectually. He's not talking about coming to know that 2 plus 2 is 4 or that's up and this is down. Anybody can know that. This is talking specifically about being able to perceive things, coming to know things that the Holy Spirit is revealing to you. That's not coming from an overly charismatic author. That's coming from the Vine's expository. That's what it means. And then the mind says something even cooler. It says, this isn't marked by finality. So this doesn't just happen once and it's done. In 2 Peter 3.18, Peter's last words are, grow in the knowledge, grow in the gnosko of the word of Jesus Christ. Grow in it. It's supposed to be continual. Guys, as we're Jesus' disciples, we're going to continue to have things told to us by the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to implement. I would now like to tell some embarrassing stories. Yay! Okay, so this is what it looks like in real life. Is this cool? All right. I am grumpy. I'm talking about a couple weeks ago, of course, not this morning. And I'm not just normal grumpy. I'm noticing that there is a pattern growing in my life of extreme grumpiness and then depression and then i'm really really mad way more mad than i should be and then i don't feel anything at all and i just want to lay in bed and then i'm grumpy and i'm not an idiot you know i've been walking with the lord a while so i do what you should do in that situation and that's go to the bathroom and shut the door don't talk to your wife or your son and say lord what the heck is going on like i have no reason to feel this way god what should i do I'm abiding in the living word of Jesus Christ. Right? Right there. Lord, what do I do? And I expect an answer. And uh, I'm taking authority over demons and doing all this like spiritual stuff. And it's not really helping. It's kind of helping. But for weeks, I feel this question in my spirit that I'm ignoring. And it seems unrelated. It doesn't seem spiritual. And that question is this. Does creatine cause mood swings? 
I had started taking creatine monohydrate at the gym. It was natural. It was safe. Nothing, nothing, no warnings on the label. Seemed fine. I'm ignoring this question in my spirit. And one day I think, why am I ignoring that? Isn't it odd? When I'm curious about something, I look it up immediately. Hmm. I look it up. Guess what I find? Not only does it cause mood swings, but it causes horrific nightmares. You know, it can cause outbursts of anger and all this stuff. And I only found one website that said it didn't, and they were selling supplements. (laughs) You know? So I'm like, Nicole, sorry, my bad. I wasn't listening to the Lord, so my moods may have been fluctuating a little more than normal. All right, so I'm 0-1, right? I was abiding in the Word, but then I didn't do what He told me to do, right? I didn't implement. So here's another story. I wake up, it's Saturday morning, I want to cook my eggs, the dishes are dirty. Does this happen in anyone else's house, right? And yes, I see, I see that hand, amen. <laughs> There's an interesting thing that happens mentally. There's a kitchen full of dishes. I mean, the dishes can be from floor to ceiling, and it doesn't matter how many dishes, every dish in the kitchen can be dirty, and you will walk up to that sink and say, well, none of these are mine. <laughs> Some of them are yours. They've got to be yours. Anyway, so I'm irritated. And, you know, I believe in abiding in the Word, man. So I'm like, I ask Him, (laughs) the living Word, Lord Jesus. I'm mad, God. I know that's not right. How should I feel about the dishes? And in my spirit, I hear the answer. What a wonderful opportunity to serve. (laughs) Goody. That is not what I wanted to hear. But... I knew it was the Lord, and I said, all right, God, I'll do dishes. Not 20 minutes later, Nicole gets up. She's all cute morning wife, you know, and I hug her, and she's got, like, the cold nose because it's cold in our room, and we have this brief romantic exchange. And then she, too, turns to the kitchen sink and kind of makes this noise like, and out of my mouth comes, yeah, you guys really need to do dishes today. As the words were on my lips... My mind is thinking, shut up. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) And the sounds just kept coming out, you know? (laughs) I did not live in freedom for about a while (laughs) until (laughs) I had to apologize and I explained to her the whole situation. I'm like, babe, this is what happened. You know what? I was frustrated. I asked the Lord how I should feel about it. He told me I agreed on a course of action and I didn't do it. And it didn't just affect me, it affected other people. I'm 0-2 now, okay? I'm sorry. Here's a good one. I'm leaving Hardings. I go into Hardings, actually, on Westage, and there's a lady sitting there. And I feel a question in my spirit. Why is she sitting there? And I recognize that it's the Lord. And I kind of move on and I do my shopping. I'm like, that was odd. They're having a great deal on chicken. Buy two, get three free. So I've got a whole bunch of chicken leaving it, leaving, and she's still sitting there. And as I'm leaving, I feel it again. Why is she sitting there? Only this time there was an added, give her chicken. So I walk all the way to the car and I stop and I say, Lord, was that you? And I feel in my spirit, yes, Anthony, you know when it's me. I said, okay. So I got the chicken. I go back to this woman and I sit down and I said, ma'am, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I feel like I'm supposed to ask, why are you sitting here? Who knows there are a million reasons why anyone could sit anywhere. But she says this, I am waiting for someone to buy me food. I am hungry. Come on. And I said, ma'am, I'm a Christian and I love the Lord and sometimes I believe he speaks to me. 
and he told me to give you this chicken as I was walking by. Can I pray with you? You know? Finally do something right. You know? After I botched the dishes and I botched the whole creatine thing, finally I get to feel good about myself. So that's how abiding in the living word can look. How much time do I have? I realize I've been rambling and not looking. It's supposed to be done by... Awesome. 10.20-ish? Okay, good deal. Okay, so we have 10. I love it. So good. Why am I asking you? You guys will just sit there. All right. So we abide in the Word. We abide in the written Word. Whole Bible, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. We abide in the living Word. We need to know how to hear God's voice in order to properly do that. We talk about that a lot at this church. Then when we act on it, you know, we're proving we are really disciples of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us truth. Genosco, we come to perceive the truth from God. And then that truth makes us free. We're finally getting to it, right? Freedom. We know God wants to set us free from certain things, from shame, from the power of sin and death, from fear, from anxiety, from our past, from judgment, from a fear of punishment. All those things sound good, don't they? Well, let's look at some people. Paul is writing to the Romans. In Romans 6.17, he's writing to some people who have, they seem to have mastered this. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. They are abiding, implementing the word that has now claimed your allegiance. These are disciples. They are abiding and implementing the word of God. This is Paul's conclusion about these people. And we are going to run face first into a seeming paradox. Are you guys ready? 6.18 You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Weird. I propose to you that the concept that freedom means I am my own master and I can do whatever I want when I want is not only a fallacy, but it is the original fallacy. That is not what freedom means. We've been set free from all these terrible things. We've been set free to be servants of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We might think this is weird. Like, that's not real freedom. Doesn't it seem like a catch-22 almost? Like, I'm set free to be a servant. But let me ask you a question. If we think of a prisoner of war, an American soldier who maybe through an error in judgment gets taken captive across enemy lines and is treated harshly there for years and years and years and kept in a cell and treated poorly and has nothing but starvation or death to look forward to, when one day... The door is kicked in and there's yelling and gunfire and people screaming and when the smoke clears, there is SEAL Team 6 standing there and all their magnificence and all of his captors are dead and they kick open the door to his cell and they say, we've come to set you free. How ridiculous would it be if that person said, you know, you're not fooling me. There are still laws in America. You're going to take me back to America, aren't you? Well, yes, we are. Am I still going to have to drive 70 on the freeway? Well... Yeah. Public intoxication, is that still frowned upon? Well, yes, of course, sir. Freedom. That's not freedom. Get out of here. That's silly, right? Nobody would think that. You would come all the way back to America overjoyed 
and you wouldn't even give a second thought about the fact that you had to stop accelerating about, well, let's be honest, 78, 78, <laughs> you know? Because we would understand that we were set free from a terrible situation and we were set free to go back to our home country. Through an error in judgment, a grave one, humanity is enslaved by a cruel taskmaster. We are POWs of the devil, sin and death. Jesus has kicked open the door and he has come to set us free. To then say, you know what? I don't want your freedom because I can't do whatever I want whenever I want is not only ridiculous... It's dumb. I'm just going to say it. But it is still offensive. Something in us is still offended by that reality that we could have some other master external to ourselves. And yet, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, modeled this kind of life. In John alone, he keeps saying, I'm not doing anything on my own initiative, but on him who sent me. He says that very phrase at least three times. I don't even speak on my own. What the Father has taught me, that I speak. What I hear Him saying, that I say. What He's doing, I do. I'm not doing anything on my own initiative. He goes as far to say that when I'm finally crucified, then you'll understand I'm not doing anything on my own initiative. But Him who sent me. And He's always with me because I always do what's pleasing to Him. In Philippians 2, 5-7, through 7, it says in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That word for servant is doulos, and it is the lowest form of slave, even without rights. Interesting. As I was studying for this message, I came upon something very interesting that makes me feel even more smart than I was before I started. In the Vines Expository, again, thank you for apparently leaving this here. Uh, Yeah, Scott Jones, appreciate it. It says that this type of freedom harkens back to something that they used to do in ancient Greece called fictive sale manumission. Not a popular Google search, believe it or not. I looked it up, and we have over 1,000 documents at the Temple of Apollo in Delphi, over 1,000 from 200 years before Christ to 100 years after Christ, showing how they would free slaves. It was common, at this city at least, we know, for them to take a slave into the Temple of Apollo and say, Apollo, I'm going to sell this slave to you. Apollo obviously didn't come down and pay the money, or else that would have made history. So they provided the money for the sale, and they put it in the temple treasury. And they had a document written up. And uh, since Apollo never came down to sign it, which also probably would have made history, they went ahead and filled it out themselves. And then they said, All right, Joe Slave, you are now the property of Apollo. Doesn't look like he's coming down to get you. Well, until he does, I guess you can do whatever you want. And that was called freedom by fictive sale. This was current in the day of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that in this, we actually do have a God that comes down. He actually does pay the price. And He actually does welcome us into His service. That 
abiding in the Word, doing what the Holy Spirit reveals to you, following the Spirit, acknowledging that true freedom only comes through submission to the only worthy King. Ultimately, that is how we live free. I'm going to give it to Aaron. Thank you.